0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text today will be taken from the reading in the Gospel of Luke as we hear the account of the baptism of our Lord. You may be seated. Let's begin with a prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks that you have gathered us here by your grace to hear your word, to receive our forgiveness, and to be reminded, Lord, that we are your children, beloved by you, Give us security, Lord, in this identity and help us to trust you with our whole lives. And now, Lord, may now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name. Amen. The famous psychologist of the previous century, Eric Erickson, uh, once said that human beings have three primary needs. We all have three primary needs, he says. We need to know our identity, we need security, and we need to find meaning in this life. Now, we are living in a time when all of these things are very important, because all of these things are always very important for us as people, Uh, but we really seem to be living in a time right now where there's a lot of emphasis on this idea of identity. How do you identify yourself? it's actually become a rather uh, convoluted and controversial issue to talk about our identity in our culture. Typically, when you talk about who you are, how you identify, you'll describe yourself by telling people where you're from, where you work, who your family is, what church you attend, how you vote, what football team you used to cheer for. All of those things uh, kind of go into defining who you are. A lot of people live their lives uh, saying that their past defines them, and that becomes kind of difficult for many of us. But right now, we're living in a rather strange time, and, and frankly, a little disconcerting of a time, when people don't want any of these outside factors to define them. They don't want anything else or anyone else claiming any definition in their lives. We live in a time right now where everybody wants to self identify my past my family my church even my body are no longer allowed to define who i am i define myself by how i feel or so the present thinking goes we live in a time where we refuse to be identified by anything or anyone outside of our own internal feelings Now this whole identity politics conversation is a huge conversation that we're obviously not going to be able to uh, deal with all of the nuances and intricacies of it here today in a short 45-minute sermon. However, I will say this. uh, It is dealt with in a lot of uh, important and deep and powerful ways. and So we can't really, uh, sometimes some dangerous ways as well, so we can't get into all of it. But what it is crucial for us, I think, to understand here today is that if you are ever truly going to understand who you are, if you are ever truly going to understand your identity, you need to know where you came from, or probably better said, who you came from. Uh, These last number of weeks, we've been doing a Bible study on Sunday morning called Who Am I and What Am I Doing Here? Uh, And there we spent a lot of time talking about Trying to figure out our purpose in this life. And this purpose is grounded in our identity. And the study showed us that our identity is grounded in who made us. So that if you're gonna truly understand who you are, you have to understand who God is, your creator. Now, the good news for us, I think, is that God has not chosen to hide himself. From us. This is not some sort of religious game where we have to sort of put all the pieces together and then we can figure out who God is and then we can finally figure out who we are because God is not a God who merely hides himself from us. To be sure, there are plenty of mysterious things about God. There are a lot of things about God uh, that are hidden and that we should not try to access and figure out. And yet at the same time, God has not chosen to hide himself entirely from us. In fact, God in his mercy has chosen to reveal himself to us in a very specific person. God has revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ, that first century Jewish rabbi from Nazareth. That is where God has placed himself. Which means that if you want to know the identity of God, you must look to Jesus. And Jesus is God for you. This is what the season, really, of Epiphany is all about. We've just come out of Christmas where Christ has come he's been born, and now we're moving into this season of Epiphany where we're finding out who he actually is and why he is here. Now, to do that for this particular season of Epiphany this year, our church is going to go through a series called I Am. I Am is the way Jesus identifies himself in the Gospel of John. There's a number of sayings. We call them the I Am sayings where Jesus says, this is who I am and how you need to understand me and therefore how you need to understand God. Now we're calling it the, Jesus uses these I am statements and they're very profound statements because I am is not just sort of the way he starts his sentences, but I am is actually the name God gives to himself in the Old Testament. When he's speaking with Moses and Moses wants to know who's sending me to rescue the Israelites, God says, tell them I am sends you. This is God's self-identifying name. So when Jesus comes along and says things like, I am the bread of life, or I am the way, the truth, and the life, or before Abraham was, I am, Jesus is saying, I am your God. I am the God of Israel. In fact, I am the God of all creation. Now to think, that the God who created the heavens and the earth would be found in the flesh of a first-century Jewish man is a rather amazing thing. But on the surface, or at least immediately, it's not necessarily good news for us. Because as God shows up to us in the flesh of Jesus Christ, we find ourselves asking the question, what's he here to do? Why has he shown up in the first place? What's he going to do to me? (laughs) And this is a very important question, and one that doesn't have, you know, sort of an assumable answer, especially if you read through the Old Testament, because as you read through the Old Testament, you will find that we have a mighty and a powerful and a glorious God, a creative God, a beautiful God, a, a powerful God, a loving God, a merciful God, a patient God, and yet you'll also find that there are times where this God chooses to pour his wrath out upon people who live in sinful rebellion against him. Consider, for example, the story of Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark, which is the most ironic story uh, to put in all the children's books that you've ever seen in the Christian bookstore, right? You have all these cute little books of happy little animals sitting on the boat and all of this, while well, outside, everyone is drowning in the watery wrath of God. I mean, it's a very terrifying story uh, for sinners. God looked down and he found that all of his creation was living in rebellion against him and he said it's time to start over and so he wiped everybody out except for eight people, Noah and his family. And if you didn't, you know, identify as one of Noah's family, you had to face the wrath of God in that water. Moses, who wrote Genesis, describes the coming of the flood this way, he says, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth. And the windows of heaven were opened, and it rained 40 days and 40 nights. God opened up the heavens and poured out his watery wrath on sinners. So how do we know that he's not to bring more wrath again when he comes in the flesh of Jesus Christ? And now I know we all just came through Christmas, so we think we know the answer to this. But did you hear John the Baptist preaching today? I mean when John is preparing people and John as we know from the word is the one God chose to prepare the way for his son Jesus as John is preparing the way it seems like he's preparing the way for a God of judgment and wrath again Everyone's standing around talking about John and they're all thinking maybe this is the guy. He's a powerful preacher Maybe he's the Messiah And John comes along and says oh no, 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 I baptize you with water. I'm the nice guy <laughs> But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And then I love the next verse from Luke when he writes, So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people (laughs) that's that's delightful news yes indeed so john this man who's to prepare the way for the coming of christ seems to be preparing us for a judge a judge who's come to bring fire and wrath to burn up the unquench to to burn up the chaff and unquenchable fire yo So just imagine yourself there listening to the preaching of John, having uh, the stories, uh, the the histories really of of the flood and such things in the back of your head and you're hearing all of these things and you're seeing John preach these things and just imagine you're there one day and then this uh, carpenter's son from Nazareth comes walking down the hill and John says, there he is, there's the guy. What are you thinking at that point? Well, as you see him come down, strangely enough, this man you believe to be this sort of harbinger of judgment goes to the water of repentance. He comes to this baptism for sinners. And he begins to speak to John, and John looks rather confused in the conversation. He looks rather hesitant in his moves, but decides to listen and baptizes this man. And then at this point, a rather remarkable thing happens. Luke writes, When Jesus was baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. Now we'll stop there. The heavens were opened. When's the last time we saw the heavens being opened around some water? At the flood. So now you're thinking this. Well, here it is again. Here comes the wrath. This is the judge John was telling us about. I don't see any rainbows anywhere. This is a very nerve-wracking moment. What is God going to do with this man? What is God going to do with all of these sinners? What is God going to do to me? And now here, this last question is a very legitimate question, and one in which our identity becomes very important. Because you see, the reality for us is this. You are defined, you are identified by God. And he has created you to be a certain way. He has created you to live a certain way. He has created you to believe certain truths and promises that he has made. And if you compare your life with his design, if you compare your life with how he created you to live, you are going to find that you identify in this world as a rebellious creature. That you are no less sinful than those poor wretches who are outside the boat mocking Noah. Because, you see, you and I, we've let our identity in this world, your desire to be something you're not, your covetousness to be free from God's confining laws, and your desire to be like God, to be your own God, you have allowed these things to drive your action and your activity. In other words, you've not loved God with your whole heart and you've not loved your neighbors as yourselves the way he created you to do it. And so when the skies are opening over Jesus' head, you and I and all the sinners in the world ought to be shuddering in fear because we're thinking, what is God going to do to me, me who identifies as a sinner? But then, of course, the most remarkable thing happens. The heavens open up and what comes down is not water or fire or wrath, but a dove. A dove comes down and lands on Jesus. And now if you know the story of Noah and his ark very well, you know at the end, Noah was trying to figure out if the waters were going away, if the wrath was kind of coming to an end, and he continually sent birds out to find out if there was a place for them to land. And the birds continually came back until he finally sent out a dove, and the dove went away, and I guess it found some place to land. Well, here is the ancestor of that dove, and it has found a place to land on the shoulder of Jesus to indicate that the wrath has come to an end. In fact, the Holy Spirit has confiscated this dove and made it his own, and the Holy Spirit is in this dove now landing on Jesus Christ. The land that shows that the wrath is complete has come to land on Christ. And as the dove lands there, you hear this voice come forth from heaven. It is the voice of the Father who says to Jesus, You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. So that when God is here in the flesh, when the Father is sending the Son in the power of the Holy Spirit, He does not do so To bring wrath and judgment. But to speak words of grace. To speak words of pleasure. For with this person, with this Jesus, God the Father is well pleased. For you see, what this Jesus Christ has come to do is truly remarkable. He has come to save us from the wrath of God. See, the reality is is that there will be a day of judgment. The one that John spoke of, it is coming. But first... There is the coming of this Jesus, the coming of this Jesus to save you from that day. Where in the Old Testament, God opens up the heavens and pours out his watery wrath and floods the world. We find this Jesus coming out of the waters of that baptismal flood, identifying with sinners in the flood of baptism to show us what it is he has actually come to do. That Here is the God in flesh who has come to identify with sinners and to undergo wrath for them, but not wrath in the waters of a flood, but on a cross, where he who is without sin will become sin for you, will be identified as the chief sinner, as Jesus Christ, though he was without sin, will die in your place, and he will be the sacrifice with which God is well pleased. He has not come to condemn you for your sins, but to be condemned for your sins in your place. And now Jesus meets you in the waters of your baptism, where you and your sinfulness was drowned and were crucified with Christ, and he raised you to a new life to be his own forever. At his baptism, Jesus enters the place of sinners. He identifies with sinners to show what he has come to do. Die on the cross for sinners. And give you righteousness and everlasting life. This is the one God identifies as his beloved son. He is the one who is called the friend of sinners. Because he has forgiven sinners and made them his own. He is the one who has come to forgive you. And now this is your identity. You who are baptized in Christ Jesus. You are identified as beloved of God. You are identified as forgiven. You are identified as children of God with whom he is well pleased because Jesus Christ came and identified with you and died in your place and made you his friend. That is who you are, friends of Jesus Christ because of what he has done for you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for the mercy that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have made us your own and you have identified us as your beloved children. Teach us to live in this identity full of joy and freedom and to love others so they too may know that you show them mercy in Jesus Christ and have saved them from the wrath to come. We thank you for this in Jesus' most precious name. Amen.